Today on World Footprints, we'll explore Michigan's Mackinac Island and find a place to venture for your next trip as we take you destination speed dating at the Society of American Travel Writers Conference. Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the multi-award winning show for socially responsible travelers. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. As Mark Twain once said, Travel is fatal to prejudice, and World Footprints invites you to travel deeper as we connect you to remarkable people, places, and history around the globe. Thanks, dear. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Since cars are prohibited on Michigan's Mackinac Island as they have been since 1898, many visitors rely on horse-drawn carriages to explore and travel the nearly four-square-mile island. Joe Hersher of Mackinac Island Carriage Tours shows us around the island from his horse-drawn carriage. About 11,000 years ago, this is all glaciers around here. Glaciers were melting. A lot of this land was underwater at that time, and it was one giant lake out here, and that was Lake Algonquin. The Shepler family, the namesake in Shepler's Mackinac Island Ferry, has transported summer visitors for 70 years to and from Mackinac Island from the mainland docks at Mackinac City in St. Ignace. Chris Shepler shares his family's legacy, his passion for customer service, philanthropy, and gives Tanya a thrill of a lifetime. My grandfather felt the need to, to offer a charter service because back then, you know, at 6 o'clock, that was it. You know, the last boat to the island, and, and now we're running till you know, 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. Are you looking for a place to vacation or get away for a weekend in the eastern United States? We'll find the right destination for you as we go destination speed dating at the Society of American Travel Writers, SATW for short, who met recently in Portsmouth, Virginia. Well, Maine has this tremendous mystique that's really hard to put your finger on, but it's a place that has great memories for people. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Since cars are prohibited on Michigan's Mackinac Island, as they have been since 1898, many visitors rely on bicycles and horse-drawn carriages to explore and travel the nearly four-square-mile island. Joe Hersher of Mackinac Island Carriage Tours takes us around the island. My name is Joe. More importantly, your beautiful horses up front here. These are draft horses. Off to left, this is Tarfoot. Everybody say hi, Tarfoot. Hi, Tarfoot. And Jim on the right, say hi, Jim. Hey, Jim. Jim Tarfoot and Jim are good old boys. So Tarfoot on the left here, Tarfoot is a Percheron draft horse. Jim on the right here is a Belgian draft horse. So your Percherons are all the black, white, gaffle gray horses. All your brown and blonde horses, those are Belgian draft horses. Off to the right, this is Marquette Park. Marquette Park was founded for Father Marquette. That's a statue of Father Marquette in the middle there. He did a lot of missionary work here with the Native Americans in the late 1600s. Well, that's supposed to be a statue of Father Marquette. It said the artist that made that had no likeness of Father Marquette, so he just looked in the mirror and said, here's a dashing young fellow. That's of the artist who just slapped a beard on himself and called it Father <laughs> There's also, you see the barnyard and the garden for the soldiers who were garrisoned up at Fort Mackinac. That is Fort Mackinac on the back there. Built in 1780 and finished in 1781 by the British during the Revolutionary War. 
one of the only revolutionary war forts still standing today. One of the other ones is down in Florida. Wouldn't you much rather be here? It's like 85 and sunny down in Florida. It's terrible. <laughs> Who wants to be in that? Life is a little different on Mackinac Island, as we learned at this stop. <laughs> this is the United States Post Office off to the right here. That is the most unique post office in the nation. It has never delivered a single piece of mail. <laughs> Rain, sleet, snow, all the islanders have to come down here and pick their mail up. <laughs> I'd be pretty angry if I came down here in six feet of snow to junk mail. You guys could have called me. Mackinac Island is known for fudge making, and Joe shares a little secret about eating fudge for free. Off to left, this strip mall here, that is the most unique strip mall on the island. It doesn't have a fudge shop. Don't worry, there's 17 other fudge shops on the island here. You can get free samples of all those places, and if you do, you'll eat over a pound and a half of fudge. And you'll probably end up right here at the Mackinac Medical Center. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> I'm a chocolate. So said, you're going to get sick of fudge working on the island here. That never happened. I love fudge. Actually, if they overcook or undercook fudge at the fudge shops, they put it in a five-gallon bucket and send it up to the barns for us. <laughs> so we just eat up a wet block of fudge. <laughs> Mackinac Island is a sacred place to Native Americans, as we learn where many of the island's year-round and Native population live, a place called Harrisonville. Straight head off to left here. This road here will take you out to the village. It's also known as Harrisonville. That is where three-quarters of our year-round residents live. There are 500 to 600 year-round residents mm -hmm. that live on this island. The majority of them are of Native American and or French descent. Their families have been here for several generations. Known as the Anishinaabe. That includes Chippewa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi tribes. Also Ottawa, Ottawa and Ojibwe. Pretty close. This is a very sacred place for the Native Americans. They believe life started on Mackinac Island here. Mm -hmm. A giant turtle rose out of lake waters thousands of years ago, and on that turtle's back was life. That turtle is Mackinac. We're on the turtle right now. They call the island Michelin Mackinac, which literally means land of the great turtle. That's why you see all the turtle stuff down there. Turtle statues everywhere. Mm -hmm. Turtle fudge. Turtle soup. Turtle shirt. Turtle, turtle soup. <laughs> turtle shirts. Turtle everything. It's a very, very sacred place for the neighborhood. They put it, like I said, they put it back there to protect against the high winds and the heavy tourism. They like the tourism, but they're trying to raise money. Nice mm -hmm. and quiet. The clickety-clack of our draft horse slows as we reach Break Hill, appropriately named because this is where we stop to check our brakes. Here we begin to learn of the bond between Joe, his horses, and the special care shown to them. Come up to Break Hill. This is where I check to see if my brakes actually work. Oh. <laughs> we do have a hydraulic brake system on all of our carriages, and what that hydraulic brake system does is it takes the weight off the neck and off the shoulders of the horses, so they can just walk down slowly. They don't have to worry about any of the weight of this carriage on them. It's especially important with a loaded carriage and with those larger 35 passenger carriages. I guess that is the largest passenger carriage in the world. Very important that we hold our brakes correctly and we hold our lines back tight also. If they do trip up when I need these hills, a little bit of weight pulling back on that bit quickly is going to help them brace themselves to get back up a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm setting their pace. Since none of the weight of the carriage is on them, they're basically walking free down the hill. They're free walking. None of the weight of the carriage is on them, so they kind of have to set their pace. Otherwise, they get all ants in their pants if they want to run down the hill. <laughs> we have to hold those lines back tight. That's well. Yeah, I'm not saying I can pull 2,000 pounds of horseback. <laughs> now, we can always tell when a driver hasn't used his brakes properly. The horses will spill their heads, they get kind of angry. They really want you to use your brakes properly. You have to watch closely on that, especially when we're training people. 
one of the most important things we can train people is for, is for the brakes. How to use how to utilize your brakes and use them correctly. We take such good care of our horses here. It shows in their appearance. It shows in their demeanor. We love these guys so much. Uh, you won't see a skinny horse in Mackinac. They are very well fed. They get a non-stop hay buffet, a gallon of oats three times a day, easy feed, sweet feed, crew protein, minerals, salt. Uh, really love our horses so much. Twizzlers, fudge, donuts. <laughs> Anything sweet will try and steal from you. <laughs> double stuffed Oreos. They don't like single stuff, just double. But also we go down the store and get them apples and carrots. That's the key to a horse's heart. They will love you forever if you feed them treats. Also, you got to go in the stall, pet the necks, talk to them, they get used to your voice, used to your smell, just used to your presence. You have to spend time with your horses. Some drivers, they don't get that or they don't care. And most drivers get beat up very, very quickly. Very quickly. A lot of people ask, why don't you use Clydesdales? Clydesdales are beautiful horses. I love Clydesdales. They cannot pull the weight. They were bred to be big and beautiful. These guys were bred to pull. And that's why the Amish use Belgian and Pertrine draft horses. And we get quite a few of our horses from the Amish at Amish auctions. Okay. Ohio, Pennsylvania, Shipshawana area. Obviously, some of the largest Amish communities in the nation in those areas. When do you retire these guys? They don't work until about 25, 30 years old. Sometimes 35. We just retired a horse at 33. That was a forced retirement. <laughs> you were too old. You can't work anymore. When they retire, they either sell them back to the Amish or they go up to Texas for the rest of the time. Uh, do some light logging up there. Mm -hmm. Also, we hook them to newer horses that we get and train, train newer horses as well. Mm -hmm. and they hedge, so. On the tour, we stop at Arch Rock, an amazing geological attraction. Now, the arch was formed thousands of years ago. Now, about 11,000 years ago, this is all glaciers around here. Glaciers were melting. A lot of this land was underwater at that time, and it was one giant lake around here, known as Lake Algonquin. About 2,000 years ago, those waters had receded substantially. A lot more land was exposed. It was known as Lake Nipissing. But all that water had run off the backside of the island here. ate a hole through the soft inner limestone core of that rock and created arch rock that you see today. Through water erosion and wind erosion, it gets a little bit bigger every year. I don't know if you noticed in the bottom of the arch, they put concrete support at the bottom of the arch to try and prolong its life a little bit. Mm. The experts say in the next 20 years, arch rock will have fallen, unfortunately. So they put concrete support at the bottom of the to try and prolong it. So and probably some duct tape, too. Duct tape fits everything. <laughs> Biting twine. Yes, in the next 20 years, arch rock will have fallen, unfortunately. So an incredible view. Did you guys see that road at the bottom of the arch? There's a road at the bottom there. Mm -hmm. That road is all the way around the island, 8.2 miles around. Yeah. 2,300 acres here, 8.2 miles around, 80 miles of trails. If you get a chance to rent bikes and bike that, it's beautiful. It's all the shoreline of the island. It is incredible around there. Crystal Clear Lake one all the way around. It's an actual Michigan highway. It's called the M185. It's the only highway in Michigan that doesn't have a vehicle accident on its record, obviously. Much of Mackinac Island is ecologically sensitive, and because of that, Joe says to leave the flora, fauna, and maple trees alone. Here's a sugar maple off to the right. Can anyone tell me what you get when you tap a sugar maple back in here? Maple syrup, yep, sap to make maple syrup. You also get a $1,000 fine. <laughs> It's $1,000 for tapping the trees back in here. If you pick any of the wildflowers, that's a $500 fine. And the police will catch you. They don't have much else to do on Mackinac. Uh, not, not many streets of Mackinac to take care of. Here's a white pine Michigan State tree, also called the Michigan pine. The Grand Hotel is made completely out of white pine. So you see the entire Grand Hotel. That is the smartest tree on the island right there. It is. It actually decided to grow behind that sign. <laughs> that's terrible. I'll be here all week, thank you. 
all the, all the trees are marked back in here. Balsam fir, white cedar, birch, beech, light locust, sugar maple, ironwood. Everything is marked with those signs back in here. So. Well, the island pretty much shuts down. About the second week in January, the ice starts forming too thick around the shore and the ferries stop running. So there is no way to get on and off the island but to fly. There's an airport in the back you can fly back and forth. I think it's pretty pricey. It's like $100 round trip for a couple, so a lot of islanders refuse to fly, and they wait for the ice bridge to form. Mm -hmm. There's an ice bridge that forms from here to St. Ignace, which is about 5.8 miles across. To mark the ice bridge, the islanders drill holes in the ice, and they put their old Christmas trees along there. So either in a whiteout or a blizzard, you can find your way to and from the island. You don't get lost out on that thin ice. You can put all the Christmas trees along there to mark that crap. It's incredible to see all those Christmas trees along there. So and everyone snowmills back and forth across there. But see all those Christmas trees, it's so... A bunch of extension cords go from tree to tree, light them up. They're not lit up. All the Christmas trees are along there to mark that As we head back to town, we pass Dowd's Market. Well before Amazon and its delivery system, Dowd's has been delivering food by flight for the island's residents. All right, well, thank you guys. Dowd's Market stays open also. Uh, this stays open all year, so you guys got provisions. They do fly their groceries in okay. for the winter. But they have to tack the cost of freight on. So last winter, my fiance and I, we came across from the ice bridge. Mm -hmm. We drove across the snowmobiles. We bought a 12 pack of burgers ginger ale. It was $13. Holy cow. So that's like four bucks at, at Myers. Right. Very expensive. They have to tack the cost of freight on everything. The cost of freight is just astronomical. First of all, you have to put the, pay the freight from the grocery store to the airport, mm -hmm. then from the airport to here, and then from the airport here, you put on a horse-drawn flatbed and bring it to the grocery store. Each one of those is $80. I need so much money to ship the groceries. Audie, well, thank you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoyed the tour. Have a great day on Mackinac. A safe trip home. Enjoy this weather. Thank you. Thank you so much. After the break, we go on board Shepler's Mackinac Island Ferry with Chris Shepler. My grandfather felt the need to, to offer a charter service because back then, you know, at 6 o'clock, that was it. You know, the last boat to the island, and, and now we're running till you know, 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night. Next, as World Footprints continues. My name is Joe Hersher. I am from Kankakee, Illinois, and I love traveling with World Footprints. Hi, this is Jennifer Coolidge. The American Heart Association says the disco song Stayin' Alive is the near-perfect beat for hands-only CPR. If you see a teen or adult collapse from cardiac arrest, you only need two steps to help save a life. Call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest to the beat of the song Stayin' Alive. Disco is back and it's saving lives. To learn more, go to heart.org slash hands-only CPR. Nationally supported by the WellPoint Foundation. Good day, everyone. This is Donna Douglas with Bermuda Tourism here with World Footprints in sunny Bermuda. We thank you for joining us, and we hope everyone will visit us one day soon for Bermuda Day. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. For 70 years, the Shuffler family and their Mackinac Island Ferry has been transporting summer visitors to and from Mackinac Island from the mainland docks at Mackinac City in St. Ignace, Michigan. Chris Shuffler shares his family's legacy, his passion for customer service, philanthropy, 
And he gave me a thrill of a lifetime as I got to pilot the ferry that took us from the island to Mackinac City. Chris Shepler, you're, you're a third generation captain of the Shepler Ferry Company, is that right? Yes, that, that is correct. And my grandfather started our company back in the, the early 40s, and he did so with a six-passenger speedboat that he built, and there was a need. He was a fisherman in these areas. Okay. For, for many, many years. And his grandfather, well, actually his father, my great-grandfather, was a, uh, a captain here on the Straits of Mackinac and drove the state ferries to and from St. Ignace with the car ferries and the railroad cars. And, and uh, so that's what he did. So they were based in this area, grew up in this area, and my grandfather felt the need to, to offer a charter service because back then... You know, at six o'clock, that was it. You know, the last boat to the island, and, and now we're running till you know ten thirty or eleven o'clock at night. So he ran kind of a charter service. They call him at all hours of the morning, and he'd come down, start the boat up, and, and head to head to the island with the clientele, usually for the grand. You know, um, and uh, so they did that. Built another six passenger speedboat. My dad got his license, and then they went to two cabin cruisers over a you know, a 12 year period of time. And, and then um, things kind of morphed into bigger, faster, stronger. And, and uh, our first high speed planing hull, which is a, a boat like you're on right now, um, was built in 19, well, it was delivered in 1969. And that was kind of our, you know, if you really want to put a date or a time on it, it would be the, the year of 1969 when we, really became um, who we are today, or at least a, a very, you know, infinite uh, of who we are today. So. Now, what made you decide to continue the family business? I know your grandfather is one of those rare individuals yeah. who was born on Mackinac Island, um, but I'm sure, you know, you and your father and, you know, mm -hmm. your your siblings went off in, in perhaps, yeah. you know, to college and looked at other things what made you decide to continue yeah. the family your family's legacy that's a that's a very good question because actually I've never really been asked that but but uh, just quick thinking about that my my growing up I, I you know I was one of those kids that jumped in my dad's truck in the, in the summer months when we were out of school and, and and came to Mackinac with him every day we we live in a little town called Harbor Springs which is 35 miles south of here and and uh, back in those early days, I remember eating pancakes and eggs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because we didn't, we didn't have anything at that time. We lived in a trailer. I had a great life eating ice cream cones and swimming and goofing around on boats. But uh, we, were, you know, we were just starting out, didn't have a lot going on. And, and uh, uh, I went to high school in Harbor Springs, and we moved to Harbor Springs when I was like four. And, and uh, as the business grew, we went from a rusted-out trailer that we lived into to the house that actually I own now and, and bought up from my parents. And so I uh, went to school, went to college, and, and then I ended up racing in the 1987 America's Cup, the, the sailboat race down in, in Australia. So I got involved with that team for two and a half years of my life, racing all over the world um, for that two and a half years. And then I continued racing professionally for another three four years uh, again all over the world for for other people and and uh, so that was kind of my life so there was a time when I was not involved with the company 
And uh, once the 87 America's Cup ended, I came back to the States, got involved with a couple other programs, not America's Cup programs, but maxi boats and things of that sort. And so I continued to do that, worked a little bit, but did a lot of sailing, competitive sailing. And then once I was done living out of my suitcase, um, I came back and started working here full time in 1991 <clears throat> and, and found that uh, you know, this is what I want to do. I don't want to live anywhere else, number one. And number two, I don't want to do anything else. And, and then when I quit sailing, I, I really quit. I, I haven't been on a sailboat in 18 years, really. And, and I think because if I didn't do what I did, if I wasn't having the availability to get out and be on the water, um, because it is my love, it, uh, I, I'd still be doing, I'd still be racing sailboats at, at right now. So with that, then our kind of our next step is we moved into who we are today. Again, um, we had, a, we needed to get into a succession plan. And I didn't, don't mean that it, when I was 28 years old, I wanted to take this thing over and, you know, say goodbye to everyone else who built the thing. But it was, it was, you know, in my 40s, it was, I'm 52 right now, but in my 40s, it, it, uh, we needed to start thinking of that with regards to the financial end of this company and with the debt tax and things of that sort. And we just finished, two years ago, we finished up our succession plan, which took five years, and, and, um, and it's, uh, I, I couldn't be happier with what I do. I love who I work with. I love the, the office that I have, you know, on occasions, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I love northern Michigan. Now, of course, everything about uh, the Shepler operation is focused on customer service. Uh, clearly, you put a premium on uh, safety in, in, in terms of getting people back to and from the mainland and Mackinac Island, but you guys really have an impressive operation in terms of just how you go about serving the customers. How did that come about, particularly given the humble origins of the company, because you really are focused on making things very convenient for travelers here? Well, first, thanks for noticing, and, and we do. We, we take uh, a, a lot of pride, a lot of time, a, mo a lot of money and effort into, into, um, into uh, the, th that exact thing of customer service. And I think it all started back in, um, back in uh, when we started to go to Disney World as a family, back in the mid-70s and, and early 80s. We, we were in, um, uh, we would go down and spend uh you know started out three days and then it was a week and then it was two weeks and then it was uh uh all of you know a month after a while and uh and as we have uh, tanya driving here we're going to go right towards that that uh, white water tower right okay. there so that's your that's your aiming point okay straight straight on yes okay and we loved what disney did we loved their quality service attention to detail all of that stuff so as we found out that that's what we liked, we got into, um, you know, going to seminars, going to, to actual classes and finding out how they did that and implemented all of those things from hiring to inter the interview process, where we do our interviews. It's, it's a, a little different, perhaps. We bring the, the, the cast member or potential cast member into our 
room that we interview and the first thing that we do or first thing that they know on one side of the room is all the awards that we've won for quality service and other things and appointments that have been made by either governors or or his cabinet um, to one of our cast members and then that's on one side the other side is all of our uniforms that we have and the cost of all those uniforms and then they're shown a 20-minute video that's very black and white in nature as well as the content of, of you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this but you can do this can do this can do this and therefore you have this this and this um, you know 20% of our potential cast members leave when they decide ah this is too much for me and then we go into the actual interview process and take the helm over no unless you oh want to other things other things you want to do go for it and, and uh, whatever you feel comfortable with is fine with me this is a very sensitive um, rudder yeah and, and I think the sensitivity of the rudder is just due to the, um, the the force all rudders are behind a propeller and there's a lot of water going over that rudder and with the speed and the fact that we are planing right now you know we're actually sitting on top of the water. We're drawing less water right now than when we were sitting at the dock. So it's, yeah, she's pretty responsive. Now, Chris, for folks who have not been to the Great Lakes, these these lakes are almost like seas. You have to have a great deal of respect for them, even though they are internal lakes. And you know, as a sailor and even as a part of shuttling people back and forth on the ferries, that these waters command a great deal of respect. Absolutely, and I think on top of that, um, that any water should garner respect from the pilot or captain or recreationalist. Um, Mother Nature has a, a, a very um, abrupt way of letting you know who's in charge at all times. So as we look out today, it's a beautiful, sunny, flat, calm day. But, uh, you know, it could be a, an, in an hour, you could have, you know, things build and, and catch you completely by surprise, whether that be fog or whether that be a different wind uh, direction or wind condition or wave condition. So, yeah, they're, they're, you know, when you've got, you look at Lake Michigan, it's 400 miles long by 100 miles wide, there's a lot can happen in, in that, uh, in that, in that um, immense area of water. Chris, this, um, this passage, we're, we've gone from, or we're going from Mackinac Island to Mackinac City, um, which I believe is about a 16-minute ferry ride. You also go to St. Ignace, which is the first city opposite the uh, Mackinac Bridge or across the Mackinac Bridge. How long is that ferry ride? Yeah, that ferry ride is about 14 minutes, so it's just a, about a mile and a half shorter in distance. and. And the interesting thing about Mackinac City versus St. Ignace is uh, it's a little shorter. You go along the shoreline of, of Mackinac, which kind of gives you a little different perspective of the island. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just different, um, which is kind of cool. Yeah, the Straits of Mackinac uh, is what we're on right now. And uh, Moran Bay and, and uh, St. Ignace is, and that's the ice bridge. I don't know if uh, yes. you, you learned about that, but that's where the ice bridge originates from is, is that... Uh, is St. Ignace. I'm going to give you the helm okay. again. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Just going to take some more shots back here. All right. No but before I step out, I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the things that really impressed um, us about Shufflers is your commitment to philanthropy. And, you know, there's more than one project mm -hmm. that you 
your company, Stepler yes. Ferry, supports. Talk a little, a little bit about your philosophy, your interest in really leaving a legacy of positive footprints. Yeah, thank you for noticing that as well. Yes, we um, within our, our company, we call it our Shepler's Gives Back program, and we have it on our website and in all the things that we do. And there's a lot of little things, but there's also a couple of big things that we, we uh, believe in, and one of those is the hospital on Mackinac Island. We um, just pledged a, a great deal of money towards that project and very happy about that. And but the little things like adopt the highway that we do, and we walk two miles of I-75 road um, three times a year to clean it up. And we do little things like Alice's Lemonade, the, the girl that, that set up this foundation many years ago before she passed away due to childhood cancer, um, where we sell lemonade on the dock for a couple of days and all proceeds go towards that. So. Those are just a couple of the things, but yes, we are, and I think it's more of, you know, sure, the the, man, the ownership of the company feels that way, but, you know, who pushes that project is our cast members, and they're, they're uh, vested in, in that 110%. Well, Chris, as we make our way into Mackinac City, we uh, thank you so much for being with us on World Footprints, and... Uh, just just for sharing, this is truly beautiful, and we encourage anyone to get up here to Mackinac City and Mackinac Island and this beautiful part of Michigan just to experience life uh, up here, up north, as we like up, to say. Up north, and it's perfect timing, Ian, because I need someone to blow the horn, so you got to come up here and push that little button right there. Very good as we enter Mackinac City. Fantastic. That was a lot of fun, and dear, I must say, uh, you're quite a captain. I know, do I, do I, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you ever need, you know, a summertime. A little help? Intern, I, yeah. I know who I'm calling. I uh, tell you, my 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 goodness, is is that one going on the resume, too? I think that'll be one of the big talking points for uh, your next act. <laughs> All right. This was fun, Chris. Thank you Thank so you. much. You are very welcome. Coming up, we'll go destination speed dating at the SATW meeting as we help you find a getaway in the eastern United States. An outdoor adventure destination of a lifetime. Waterfalls, rivers, lakes. Oconee is a Cherokee word for land beside the water. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Ingrid Harrell from Laurel, Maryland, and I'm here in beautiful Bermuda enjoying Bermuda Day, and I love World Footprints. In Italy, police smash an international human trafficking ring. Officials in India announce over a thousand human traffickers arrested this year. And authorities in Peru charge a man and his wife with trafficking babies to Europeans through the Internet. Human traffickers are active all over the world, but by joining forces we can stop these criminals. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Hi, I'm Jamie Hogg from Connecticut. I'm here in Bermuda, enjoying Bermuda Day, and I also am enjoying hanging out with World Footprints. Now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. Have you been searching for a place for a vacation or a weekend getaway in the eastern United States? 
we went destination speed dating in search of that next best travel adventure at the Society of American Travel Writers, SATW, who recently met in Portsmouth, Virginia. As we met our prospective destinations for a possible date of sorts, we asked them to help us write the first entry in our travel journal. First, let's head north to Maine and Nancy Marshall. For the first-time visitor who wants to take home a special story, special memory from Maine, what would be in that first chapter, the first paragraph of that Maine story? Well, Maine has this tremendous mystique that's really hard to put your finger on, but it's a place that has great memories for people. A lot of people have attended summer camp in Maine, or have visited grandparents on the coast or on the lakes. And it's, it's a land of uh, big proportions because it's a really large state with not a big population. Uh, it's the most heavily forested state in the nation, but it's famous for its lobsters and its lighthouses along the rocky coast. And Maine has this fleet of windjammers that sail out of the mid-coast towns of Camden and Rockland, where you can actually participate in sailing the boat every day, whether you're hauling the sails or helping cook the food in the galley on a wood stove or help steer and navigate the vessel. We also have a great deal of uh, sporting tradition um, inland Maine on our lakes and rivers and streams with great fishing and wildlife watching and hunting. So Maine has long been a, a destination for people that wanted to get out of the cities and head up for six weeks or two months and uh, cool off and relax and just sort of be with nature. Let's head to New York State and Niagara Falls, USA with Michelle Blackley. For someone who hasn't visited Niagara Falls and they're looking to write that first chapter of their Niagara Falls story, what would that first paragraph look like? (laughs) Well, Niagara Falls is seeing a renaissance. Of course, we still have our majestic wonder of the world, Niagara Falls, and on the U.S. side is where you get up close and personal to the falls. The Cave of the Winds and the Maid of the Mist are attracting people from around the world, but we also have a new culinary institute. Eight new hotels are being built. We have a growing wine trail. We have 22 wineries. And, of course, there's places like Old Fort Niagara, plenty of restaurants, 800 farms. You name it, we have it in Niagara Falls. It's off to the Quaker State, Pennsylvania. Let's see what Philadelphia and Donna Shore have in store. If we were to write that first chapter, that first paragraph of our Philadelphia story, what would it be? Well, I would say everyone's just a few degrees away from a Philadelphia connection. We have 81 institutions of higher education in the Philadelphia area. So you either went to school here, you have a child who's considering going to school here. You may have a forefather who came over because Philadelphia is the birthplace of America. So you have some connection to Philadelphia, whether you like it or not. And we're a wonderful city. And if you care about history at all, if you care about good food, if you care about the arts, you're going to find something to love in Philadelphia. And it's a beautiful area. It's very affordable. It's very easy to be there. It's only 25 blocks from river to river, very flat. And we're between two rivers, and we've really cleaned up our waterfronts, and there's beautiful places if you just want to do outdoor activities. People think of us as big city and maybe a little bit gritty and maybe just citified, but we now have gorgeous outside spaces. So our buildings are beautiful inside, and you've got gorgeous spaces outside to enjoy the city and the region. Moving on to south-central Pennsylvania, 
Pennsylvania. It's Hershey Harrisburg and Rich Dunlap. If we're writing that first paragraph of our Hershey Harrisburg story, what would it look like? How would it read? Well, I think the first thing people need to realize is that Hershey and Harrisburg are about 15 minutes apart and that they are two separate experiences but still very uh, enlightening for families as well as couples. Uh, So those are the things that maybe people don't automatically know about our region. Uh, The Hershey area, obviously, the capital of chocolate in in the United States. And then right down the road, 10 minutes away, is the capital of Pennsylvania. Uh, So what you're going to get is a really great family, fun destination in Hershey. And then in Harrisburg, really more towards the museums, cultural experiences. Our capital tour is incredible. Uh, So those are the things that I like to tell people who maybe aren't familiar with one or the other, uh, that it is uh, two very unique experiences very close together. Crossing the Mason-Dixon line and the Potomac, the nation's capital region awaits us in Arlington, Virginia, and so does Kara O'Donnell. If we're writing the first chapter of our Arlington, Virginia story in terms of the memory that one would take away as a first-time visitor or a repeat visitor, what would that chapter read? Well, I would say that Arlington is kind of the undiscovered gem of the D.C. region. First of all, it's very value-friendly. You can stay right across the bridge from D.C. in Arlington and save about 20% from the downtown D.C. hotels, and you're right there. In some cases, you can walk from Arlington into D.C., to Georgetown, for example. But what most people know is Arlington National Cemetery. It is our biggest attraction. But people don't realize all the many other things that there are to see and do in Arlington, from the and culture scene, we're the home to a Tony Award-winning theater, um, to a global dining scene where you can dine anywhere in the world while in Arlington, and a lot of other hidden gems. We're the home of the Pentagon 9-11 Memorial, the Air Force Memorial, so some great military history spots, and some very unique um, sightseeing, such as the DEA Museum, or one of the largest public art collections in the country. There's a lot of things to see and do in Arlington, and what's best of all is it's all very walkable. You really don't need a car to see what there is to see and do in Arlington. Staying in Virginia, we move to the place that birthed the nation, Jamestown and Yorktown, with Susan Bach. In writing our Jamestown, Yorktown memory, what would the first paragraph of our story sound like? I think for families of all ages, children, adults, what you really want to picture in your mind for Jamestown Settlement and Yorktown Victory Center are unforgettable experiences. When you arrive at our museums, you have the opportunity to see lovely galleries, professionally made films, but I think most important for our visitors is that hands-on living history where you can involve yourself in what would have taken place with the Powhatan Indians, the English, and the Africans that arrived in Jamestown. And at Yorktown, the Continental Army encampment and the film and the farm and what folks would have been doing during the revolution. I think more importantly for our visitor today is to ask yourself, what will this mean to me to learn about how our country started and the convergence of very important cultures, the English, the Africans, the Indians who were here. And then at Yorktown, what does my freedom mean to me? 
I am living in a free country today, and that is all because that decisive battle took place at Yorktown, Virginia. So Yorktown Victory Center and Jamestown Settlement definitely should be a part of a Williamsburg experience. Here's Karina Ferguson with Williamsburg, Virginia. Karina, if we were writing the first chapter of our Williamsburg, Virginia story, what would that chapter, what would that first paragraph read? Hi, Ian. Thank you so much. That's a great question. Um, I think... Most people would start off by saying, oh, I know about Williamsburg. It's that colonial, you know, restored historic area. I've been there maybe in the past on my fifth grade field trip, and it's history. Uh, Maybe I'm super interested in history, so I really want to go back. Or I have to go because it's American history, so, you know, those family vacations, you have to go. But I would like people to perhaps consider that there's a lot more to Greater Williamsburg than that history. History is the core. It's fantastic. And, and it's really exciting now because there's so much more they're doing with the history and making it engaging and hands-on and, and all of that. But in addition to that, there's beauty. There's outdoor activities. There's kayaking. You can kayak. Greater Williamsburg is smack in between the James River and the York River. And it's a whole, I think, 20 minutes from one river to the other. So it's pretty easy to get to both areas for kayaking, boating, sailing, fishing, if you're interested in that, golfing. We have Go Ape, which is a treetop adventure course. Um, So the outdoors is definitely something that people don't necessarily think of, but makes for a great addition to that vacation, whether you're a couple or on a romantic trip or a family and you need to get the kids to burn off a little bit of extra energy. We also have Busch Gardens Williamsburg, which I think some people sometimes forget is actually part of Greater Williamsburg, and they're celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. Um, and that's a fantastic park, great opportunity for some beyond history opportunities. And then for those of you who really like the history or think you need to expose your kids to it and they're going to mutiny on you, bring them to Revolutionary City, which is actually live performing art more so than history, or play RevQuest, which is a spy game that you have to play with your cell phones. Or you can go to historic Jamestown and actually talk to the archaeologists while they're uncovering relics from 1607, 1608, and actually be there at that instant that something is found. So just there's just so much that you could do in Greater Williamsburg. Next, it's coastal Virginia. We'll explore Hampton with Ryan Downey. If I were to visit Hampton, Virginia and wanted to have that compelling story to take back to tell my friends about, what would that first paragraph of that Hampton, Virginia story look like? Well, um, for for people that aren't familiar with where Hampton's located, we're located in coastal Virginia, right between the cities of Williamsburg and Virginia Beach, equal distance. So we're kind of the center of the Hampton Roads, or what is now being called the coastal Virginia region. We are the third oldest city in America, so behind St. Augustine, Florida, and behind Jamestown. We were settled in 1610, so that makes us 405 years old this July 10th. Um, We are very deep-rooted in um, a lot of the history, uh, really, of the nation, starting with the Revolutionary War and especially the Civil War. Um, 
with the Civil War um, first reading of the Emancipation Oak, or Emancipation Proclamation was read under Emancipation Oak. It's the first Southern reading. Um, the contraband slave decision actually happened at Fort Monroe, which is now a national monument since November 1st, 2011. Um, that story is basically three slaves uh, fled to Fort Monroe seeking refuge. Uh, General Benjamin Butler brought them in, made the decision that they were called contraband of war because they were aiding um, the South because Fort Monroe was a, actually a Union-held fortress. Um, after that, uh, thousands of slaves went to Fort Monroe to seek refuge there, then later settled around Hampton, which is now actually about 50-50 African-American and white population. So um, it's one of the largest decisions that led basically to um, the Emancipation Proclamation actually happened happened in Hampton, Virginia. So a lot of that history and, and heritage has taken place there. And then, of course, Hampton University. Um, and then the founding side of the U.S. Space Program, the first astronauts trained in Hampton, the Mercury 7. So um, that was later moved to Houston uh, uh, when Johnson became president. So, you know, with water recreation and the history and, and the heritage and the space program, our motto in Hampton is, is from the sea to the stars. And for sand lovers, it's Virginia Beach with Teresa Diaz. Teresa, for a first-time visitor to Virginia Beach, what would you want them to know? What should they see? What, what should they do? Okay. Well, I'd like everyone to know that Virginia Beach is three beaches, one vacation. So depending on the vibe that you're looking for, whether it's busy and vibrant and nightlife and popcorn on the beach and amusement parks, we have a resort beach. If you have younger children and you'd rather be in a more local setting where it's laid back and the waves are smaller, you would then visit our resort, uh, our Chesapeake Bay Beach. And then for those that really want to have an island life experience, we have our Sandbridge Beach, which is a private area uh, down the coast a little bit where you can rent a house, uh, anything from three bedrooms to 13 bedrooms. You could have a, a wedding there. You could have a crab feast right on the water. You can actually go fish and bring your food home and cook it on the deck in the water that you just got it from. So that's what's great about Virginia Beach. In 10 more minutes, you could be at an organic farm picking your own flowers or strawberries. And 10 more minutes from that, you could be at a vibrant downtown for a cosmopolitan dinner and shopping at Anthropology. So Virginia Beach is just really, really well-rounded, and most people don't realize how many different vibes that we have. Virginia Beach has uh, is home to the Virginia Aquarium and Marine Science Center, which is a world-class aquarium, a marine science center. And in the winter, we have whale watching, and we call them winter wildlife because you never know what you're going to see. We have hundreds of different types of seabirds. Uh, we actually, this year, actually saw some seals uh, out by the Chesapeake Bay. And in the summer months, we also have dolphins and dolphin watching. Um, and we can do behind-the-scenes tours at the aquarium where you can actually go and feed stingrays and help clean the seal tanks if you wanted to. Um, and then there's also a great um, marsh view um, tour. There's all kinds of things that you can do at the Virginia Aquarium Marine Science Center. You could build a whole week's vacation just around that. And now we have our new adventure park, which is in, a, in the backyard of the aquarium, where you can climb the trees and zip line within eye distance of the, of the Great Atlantic Ocean. It's just an amazing place. Let's shift our focus to the Carolinas. Did you know that South Carolina has mountains and lakes? Really hadn't thought about it until Ken Sloan put Mountain Lakes, South Carolina on the radar screen. Ken, if we were visiting the Mountain Lakes region of South Carolina and looking to write that incredible story of visiting your location, give us a sense of what that first 
paragraph in that chapter might read? It would be an outdoor adventure destination of a lifetime. Waterfalls, rivers, lakes. Oconee is a Cherokee word for land beside the water. And it was uh, very astute back when they, when they named it that because we have multiple lakes. Of course, the lakes weren't there then, but we have tons of rivers, many rivers, and over 150 waterfalls. So you have hikes to all these waterfalls, foothills, trail hikes, 200,000 acres of wilderness up in the Sumter National Forest. So we're totally outdoor adventure. So when you come into Oconee County, we want you to realize that we do have mountains in South Carolina. It's not just totally about beaches, but we have mountains, we have forests, we have rivers, uh, great fly fishing, great hiking, great biking, great walking. So it's just a great place to uh, have a family outdoor adventure. And if you're a serious uh, hiker, we have a serious hiking as well and mountain biking. Let's cross the border into North Carolina. First up, the Outer Banks with Aaron Toole. For writing the first chapter of our Outer Banks story, that story that we want to take home to family and friends, how would that read? The Outer Banks of North Carolina are celebrated as one of the most popular family adventure beach destinations in the eastern United States. Um, Some of our hallmarks are the site of the first, America's first national seashore, the Cape Hatteras National Seashore, which includes encompasses some of the largest remaining tracts of undeveloped beaches left in the eastern United States. Um, Within that seashore, we have four lighthouses, the tallest lighthouse at Cape Hatteras in the country, Um, and we also have the second oldest still operating lighthouse at Ocracoke Island. Um, A lot of people don't realize that the Outer Banks was the site of the first attempted English Settlement in what would become America. So between 1584 and 1587, there were three voyages across the Atlantic from the UK, and there were two colonies. The last one, um, affectionately known as the Lost Colony, were 116 men, women, and children who ultimately disappeared into history, and their story is told at Fort Raleigh National Historic Site, one of three national parks in our area and also at Waterside Theater on summer nights, um, the recognized site of that location. Also, um, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, is the site where the Wright brothers um, perfected, designed um, the world's first airplane. So in 1903, the Wright brothers took off into the air. Um, it killed Evel Hill and forever changed the, uh, the world of travel as we do it, know it in a modern sense. Um, Within all these beaches, we have some great restaurants. Of course, we have seafood, but being a crossroads located on the eastern seaboard, um, halfway between um, Maine and Florida. Next, Wilmington and the beaches of North Carolina with Connie Nelson. For the first-time visitor to Wilmington and the beaches, uh, in terms of the story that they would take home and tell their family and friends about, what would be in that first paragraph of that Wilmington story? Well, we like to say that Wilmington and our island beaches is one destination with four unique settings. We're very similar to Charleston, South Carolina, or Savannah, Georgia, in that we have a beautiful historic district built up on the Cape Fear River. But then, you know, just 10 or 15 minutes away, we've got our beautiful island beaches. We've got Carolina Beach, Curie Beach, and Wrightsville Beach. Each one really has a, a unique setting and feel to it. And, you know, so it's really all about the water. We're situated on a peninsula, so our beaches on one side have the Atlantic Ocean. 
Um, Wrightsville Beach on the other side has the Intercoastal Waterway. And then Carolina and Curie Beach have the Cape Fear River on the other side. So uh, it really sets itself up for a lot of great water sports, a lot of family-friendly attractions like the Battleship North Carolina. We have one of the state's three aquariums. We have a Civil War battlefield, historic homes, museums. There's just really so much to see and do. It's not... It's not just a day trip, for sure. You need um, at least two or three days to really get a feel for what, what we have. And for a capital experience, here's Raleigh with Ryan Smith. If I were to visit Raleigh to write that wonderful story of my time there, what would that first paragraph say? Well, thank you for having me. And I think in Raleigh, Raleigh is a dynamic southern city. We're the state capital of North Carolina, but Raleigh really is more than the bricks and mortar of our world-class museums and our fantastic culinary scene. In Raleigh, it's truly the people that make our destination. We've got these smart, creative, passionate people that are doing these smart, creative, passionate things that really give an authenticity to our destination. We're constantly on the best of list for everything, best place to live, work, play, start a career. And these people are creating things to make their lives better, which also resonates with visitors in unique things to do that you're not going to find in other destinations. Next year, SATW's Eastern Conference will be in Raleigh. Good work, Ryan. If a land excursion doesn't excite you, consider what Gerald Golden of Holland America Cruise Line has to offer. Gerald, I understand that Holland America actually has gone beyond cruising. Um, you, the, the line is actually in, encourages cultural immersion, and you have sustainability programs, which isn't typical among cruise lines. Tell us what distinguishes Holland America from, from others and, and where you stand out. Certainly. Holland America Line, we've been around for 142 years, uh, so we've been cruising a really long time. Well, we're considered mid-size premium, and what premium means is uh, in the mid-size category, we offered a lot of comfort. Um, you know, superb food and service. What we are as a company is we're very destination-focused. Um, and what that means is our itineraries tend to be a little bit longer um, than perhaps other cruise lines, which means we get you into some amazing places around the globe uh, that are meant to educate you. Uh, we have a very... A dedicated group or on-location team that will take you to the region. When you're on board the ship, if you are going to Turkey, we're going to bring a little bit of Turkey on board the ship also. Um, and that may be through the food, through dancing, through uh, port lectures, so you know what to expect when you get there. Um, and half, the, I think half of uh, traveling is you know, the, learning about the product, learning about destination before you get there. And it makes it come alive. So when you step off that ship, you have a sense of where you want to go, what's important for you to uh, discover. Um, if you're going on a shore excursion, which is the right shore excursion for you to go on, because um, it fits with your interests. Um, one of the things that I've heard about Holland America is um, your culinary program. People have raved about the food. Uh, but I understand that... Within your, your, your culinary program, you have a, a strong focus on sustainability. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, this is correct. We have a master chef whose name is Rudy Sodeman, and he has been instrumental in really upping the ante um, in our cuisine. And that's everything from creating a culinary council of um, five um, chefs from around the globe um, who have helped actually hone our menu. We serve menu items from their restaurants to creating, uh, we partnered with Marine um, Conservation Institute uh, probably about four years ago. And with them, we serve only sustainable fish that they have identified as sustainable. Um, so that's the only type of fish that we will purchase on board of our ships and the only sh- fish that we will serve. Um, as a cruise line, I mean, you can be only so sustainable, so you, we try to do the right thing as much as possible, and it's always it's an evolution. Um, we, we know we're sourcing for 15 ships, and our ships range from 835 passengers to our newest one, which is launching uh, next March. 2016, that will be, you know, 2,650 passengers. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a lot of food products that we are sourcing. Um, so procurement is, is, is a huge ordeal in doing it right. Um, on our new ship, we have, uh, we've introduced quite a few new restaurants. And our dining, we're always, we've always had five-star dining. It's fabulous. Uh, but we've added lots of new alternate restaurants just because people have, you know, more taste. And you know, when you have a ship that's 2650, a lot of people like a smaller, intimate restaurant venue. And you're going to be on board, you know, sometimes 14 days. If you're on our world cruise, you're going to be on board for 114 days. So when I say destination-focused, I meant destination-focused. But, we you know, we've added, we have a culinary arts center on board all of our ships. And the culinary arts center is um, meant for people to come in and they learn about... The regions, of, of course, of, as I mentioned, um, in which we're sailing, and we do um, a guest chef program where they do culinary demonstrations and also hands-on cooking classes. So it could be a chef from the U.K. or Australia or, you know, Dutch or American. Um, but they will cook foods from the region and, you know, give you a taste uh, and it's a really, it's a really wonderful onboard programming. So when when you are on the ship, there's all sorts of interesting things to do where there's a takeaway from it. Uh, we also partnered with Microsoft and have digital workshops. So for a lot of our guests, you know, now social media obviously has become such a big thing, um, but many people don't know really how. How you know how do what's the best way to download, you know, start a blog or or take video and put it online or I have, I don't know how to use the cloud. So we have I think we have 18 courses that are taught on board the ship and it's just to walk in you know grab, everyone has their own computer station. So it's wonderful so you, you have a takeaway or you bring your own camera in and you're having issues with something. So we have that, uh, that ability to help people you know move forward and in, in, in that that whole computer space or even with their iPhones. So not only are you guys helping uh, connect, uh, helping people to connect with other cultures, you're helping them to connect digitally as well. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, You're welcome. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's World Footprints radio show. We look forward to taking you on another journey soon to connect you to the history, people, and the things that make a destination memorable. 
World Footprints is aired twice weekly on Tuesdays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. All of our shows are archived on our website at worldfootprints.com. And you can find us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Stitcher. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved.